Hey, 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 welcome back to Crying Behind Sunglasses, a mental health podcast for cool people. I'm your host, Kayla Dahl. On this show, I interview comedians, entertainers, and people from all walks of life about our weird brain stuff, and we try to find a way to laugh about it because I very strongly believe that when you can laugh about something, it no longer has power over you. So, on today's show, my guest, David Seaman, is the co-founder of Fulcrum News and an author. His latest book, Treacherous America, explores the downfall of the U.S. society as we know it and where we can go from here. It's very interesting stuff. We talk about the psychology of QAnon, quantum immortality, how cryptocurrency works, and the power of intentional thinking in the present. A lot of really interesting topics that we haven't explored on this show before, so I'm excited to see what you all think. Also, if you're new here, just a little disclaimer, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for medical advice or therapy. If you actually have an issue, then please call your doctor. I am just someone who really cares about your mental health and wants to make you laugh. I do not have a PhD, at least not yet. (laughs) Uh, This show is brought to you by Papa and Barkley. If you're stressed, you need help getting to sleep, or even just reducing inflammations and muscle aches, CBD is a great tool. So I have a special deal for my sunnies, my Crying Behind Sunglasses listeners. You get 20% off your entire order. Just go to PapaAndBarkleyCBD.com and use code CRYING, that's C-R-Y-I-N-G, to get 20% off. So before we get into the episode today, of course, just a reminder to please subscribe, follow, rate, and review this show because the more people that rate and review the show, the more we can get the word out to new people who can join our community. So I really appreciate that. Also, just a quick note about today's episode. I recorded it while I was traveling, so I didn't have my normal microphone with me, so I apologize if the audio quality is not as high as you would come to expect from me, but uh, I think the conversation is really interesting. Now, without further ado, please enjoy. Welcome back to Crying Behind Sunglasses. I'm your host, Kayla Dahl, and our guest today is um, an old friend of mine. We've actually known each other since college, uh, and he is a cryptocurrency expert. He's the co-founder of Fulcrum News. He has a new book out called Treacherous America. Welcome, David Seaman. Hi. Hey, thanks for having me. Nice to be here. It's crazy that like we're actually in person. I do almost all of my interviews over Zoom, so... Actually having a person in the flesh is yeah. very exciting. <laughs> well, it's it's good for people because it's like the return to normal, aside from the world war. Right, right. Yeah, as we're recording this, I mean, it's been, what, maybe a week since Russia invaded Ukraine? About that. Yeah. Hot tips, hot tips, hot tips. Do you think that uh, the the world war and everything is causing any sort of low-level anxiety for you, or is it not affecting you at all? No, of the things that cause me anxiety, it's like that one's beyond our control. That's true, yeah. So between, you know, quantum immortality and whatnot, I think we're set. Quantum immortality, well... You explained this to me last night, but I feel like a lot of my listeners might not know what it is because I didn't know what it was until yesterday. Can you explain 
what quantum immortality is, please. <laughs> yeah, if you get nuked, you'll just move to another timeline, basically. Okay. I mean, we explained it a little bit more in depth yesterday, but that's the gist of it, is if something drastic happens to you, it takes your consciousness away. And in a quantum world without an observer or consciousness, reality cannot exist. And your consciousness is the one thing that's actually immortal. And so... Yeah, I'm not saying this is a fact. This is just the theory. This is like a theory if you right. believe in it. And so if you believe in this theory, then that means there are several other different versions of you living in different timelines. And if for some reason you die here, you're going to be coming back in one of those other timelines? Sort of, yeah. It's like you have true outcome independence. <laughs> wow. So you really can't die. You're stuck here forever, whoever here is. And uh, it's not really like the Matrix because it's not as if you're in some vat somewhere and robots are like trying to keep you entertained with a fake world. Right. Like in those movies. It's more that we're part of the hologram and we may not even, we may not even exist except as the ideas of ourselves. Wow. And so as a result, the Russia thing, again, that's like, I can't do anything about it. And I can spin up this metaphysical BS to the point where... I don't care, right? Because quantum immortality. Right, right. And uh, you think about it. So if there's a nuclear war, you want to be wiped out immediately anyways and go to that better timeline. You don't want to be stuck around with radiation poisoning, like in rags and bonfires and stuff, Mad Max. Yeah, you don't want to be in the post-apocalyptic exactly. world. I want to miss that. Yeah, <laughs> I think everybody would want to skip forward and not be a part of that, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, something I wanted to bring up, so... Well, two big topics that we were thinking about discussing. One was crypto and also the other was uh, QAnon. So I'm not sure what you want to dive into first, but I think both of them have a lot of psychological implications. I'm curious because you've done a lot of videos on conspiracy theories. What do you think psychologically is going on in someone's mind when they are able to just totally buy into something like QAnon? or another conspiracy theory like that. I think it's interesting you bring up crypto at the same time because I think QAnon and cryptocurrency both are kind of dependent on the something for nothing element of human psychology. Yeah, it and only so, has value because people decide it has value. Well, that, but also people love feeling like they're in on something and that they can get rewarded with no effort. Mm. And they will... Even as the options start to collapse and that becomes less and less likely, mm -hmm. people will defend that worldview that they've been given something for nothing because it's so appealing. And so you go back to like the 1990s, there was this big scam around the Iraqi uh, dinar, their failing paper currency, or maybe it, ar it already failed. I'm not sure which. Okay. But all these people who were kind of conspiracy minded, like everybody had an uncle or a friend of a friend's dad or something who was hoarding Iraqi dinar, this really? useless paper currency in the hopes, you know, there was this big conspiracy theory that spread online that they would be somehow recapitalized that the banks would refund mm -hmm. Iraq's uh, central bank and then it would be worth a fortune. Mm -hmm. And even after all the facts came out, it was like just total BS. There were still for years people who held on to this worthless paper <laughs> because they had this theory that the West was going to like re, you know, reinstall whatever in Iraq and make it valuable again. Yeah. And 
And in much the same way, uh, QAnon is something where even after it's clear that its promises or predictions are not coming in, because it's just a bunch of LARPers on the internet, mm -hmm. uh, people still don't want to throw it away because they feel like they've been gifted some inside track. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that one of the big things with either cults or conspiracy theories is that once you're in so far deep, it doesn't matter what someone tells you to try and disprove the theory people don't want to be wrong. Like they don't want to admit that they've made a mistake because they are that then they would be, have to admit that years of their life at that point have been a lie. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I don't mean to make crypto sound negative because crypto is actually one of the few cases ever where the something for nothing phenomenon, it actually came in. If you think about it, you play the Powerball, mm -hmm. somebody has to win. There is a ticket out there that eventually wins. And you think about great investment ideas, at one point in time, Google tried to sell to the company that was Excite. Mm -hmm. uh, they were bigger at the time. They tried to sell for a million dollars, all their assets, all their people at the time. And they were like laughed out of the room. The Excite guys were like, no way, we don't want your unprofitable search engine. What use is a search index to us? And that's what they were saying. Really? What use is this? Well, it turns out to be extremely useful. Yeah. So uh, the people who invested in Google early <laughs> and stayed with it, they made a fortune. And even like the... The people who are caterers for the initial Google campus mm -hmm. and like the massage therapists and stuff and yoga instructors and whatnot, they got stock options and made hundreds of millions of dollars, some of these people. Wow. And so that's what people want is the something for nothing. And uh, in the case of crypto, it's like Google where it actually happened. It's something that's useful mm -hmm. in the sense that it can't be counterfeit and uh, you can't inflate it away and you can't really ban it. Uh, China has banned it, but... Uh, in the West, unless you want to say people are not free and can't use the internet anymore, it's just very difficult to ban it. Yeah. And you're one of the early adopters of crypto. Like you got into Bitcoin way before. Like what, what year were you even? Uh, well, I talk about that in, oh, yeah. in Winner Take All. But So he has a book out um, called Winner Take All, which you can check out on Amazon. Um, and you can learn about the story of how he got into Bitcoin and yeah, there's a, a chapter called A Story of Found Bitcoin, which okay. talks about this. Uh, let's see. Not to read from my own book. But basically, it talks well, no, about I how... No, it totally can. Why not? So I'm just explaining how I had a Bitcoin wallet back in the day mm -hmm. and then stumbled across it years later. And it was like nothing when I had left it, maybe like 50 cents or a dollar. Mm -hmm. And then when I finally found it, it was 2,500 bucks. Wow. So that shows you how much Bitcoin has is uh grown but um to answer your question i've been in bitcoin for a while and ether i was in was in ether early 2016 onward i think like march or april mm -hmm. of uh, 2016 and uh i think it's awesome do you but, think that they're more stable than the tra traditional stock market or like a better option than the the big banks uh, I can't talk in terms of if it's better or more stable. Mm -hmm. I just think what appeals to people about it is not only the something for nothing component, but you actually own something. You own a part of that network. Mm -hmm. If that network takes out, if it takes off, you own a piece of this rare thing that's in demand. And that's part of what's driving it is uh, you own a piece of it. It's the same as like when Uber was popular back in the day and everybody liked to drive for Uber. Before the prices, you know, went down so much. Right. People liked it because Uber was giving you most of the money. And that's where the network effect takes off as people are talking about it and using it because they felt like they were a part of the 
the prosperity. Mm-hmm. And with bit between either owning it or mining it, you're literally a part of it. That's what's so neat about peer-to-peer money is mm-hmm. there's no person off in the distance, like with the central bank that owns trillions of dollars. And then you have the little privilege of using your small amount, small amount of money to pay rent and stuff. With Bitcoin, all it is is that small amount of money. There's no far off central banker. And so every person who owns some and chooses to hold on to it is acting in a sense as like a decentralized central banker. I see. So because it's not like they can just print unlimited money. Right. Uh, so it's like everybody's decision to either hold or sell or spend it is what determines its value. And then the problem is often the something for nothing psychology is a scam. That's why so many people are like, had their their spidey sense triggered by crypto is it seems scammy, but you're saying it right. at first seems very scammy. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it kind of calls into question, like, what is money? What is currency? And it's like, well, this piece of paper that says $20 on it is only worth $20 because we have all collectively decided that. So if you reduce it to that, then crypto is kind of the same thing. It's like, oh, we've decided this this string of numbers that's in a spreadsheet somewhere is worth X amount of Bitcoin or Ethereum. Yeah, exactly. The only difference is the spreadsheet is more secure. And you know, you can't print unlimited numbers of zeros. Right, right. So it's it's really interesting. I don't know. I mean... It's funny, I actually don't even own any crypto because I feel like I don't know enough about it, but maybe, you know, maybe after this, maybe I'll be more educated. (laughs) But we don't know anything about the traditional banking system either. That's the reality. Mm Because you ask the average person how many dollars are out there, they don't know. They can't even give you a ballpark. Right. They don't have any idea if it's closer to 3 trillion or 30 trillion. Like how much money is in circulation. How much money supply, the M1 stock and all that. They don't know. so the other thing I wanted to mention is crypto, you can look at it as um, it's similar to file sharing in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. So the traditional bank system is exactly like you're saying, it's a spreadsheet, mm-hmm. but it's a centralized spreadsheet. So you log on to your bank and they tell you what you have and what you can send to other people. And that's roughly similar to walking into an old record store and buying a CD or a record or going mm-hmm. on to the Apple uh, Apple Music Store and buying individual tracks, right? It's centralized. You're doing a transaction, and then you're getting your little thing from some big warehouse, basically. Yeah. So crypto is a complete inversion of that concept, and it's more like the Napster or the BitTorrent of money, where if you log on, I know none of you guys have ever downloaded music off of Napster, but way back when, if you had logged on to Napster when it was still used. Napster was great. And well, LimeWire, all of those. LimeWire, I found buggy. It would always crash my computer. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes you could find stuff on there, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, as I guess, what are we? Are we elder millennials? Or are we know. just millennials? I don't know. Okay. I don't buy into the whole generational thing. Aside from like boomers and millennials and Generation Z. Gen Z. Well, I'm just saying Gen Z doesn't know anything about having to download music. They just use like Spotify or... Right. They don't really know what we're talking about. But uh, to go back to this example of the old file sharing clients. Yeah. You log on to one of them and you would see that the song you wanted only had like maybe one or two... uh, Downloads. Yeah. One or two downloads. One or two other people who are hosting it from their computer. Mm -hmm. And so you would get it very slowly. Right. It would take forever to download because it's only coming from two places. 
but if it was a popular song like U2 or something, mm -hmm. you'd see hundreds of people would have it. And so when you download it, it would happen very fast. And this is similar to how crypto works in the sense that when nobody wants crypto, it can drop very low, not advice. It can move very low because nobody wants it. And it's like, what do you use it for? It's all just, it's a social agreement. Mm -hmm. You can't actually walk into most stores yet and use it. Uh, and so that's like when you search for the song that only has two hosts. Mm -hmm. And then the inverse of that is you have a war breakout or a pandemic or just for whatever reason, lack of confidence in your own system. Yeah. And there are hundreds of clients. It can move up. It can move up like greatly in value because there's only so much. It's extremely limited. And once all those people jump on and they want it, well, about 90% has already been mined. So 90% of all the Bitcoin that will ever exist is already out there somewhere, either being stored or being spent. Mm -hmm. um, and there's only 10% left to go over the next like 50 to 100 years. And so when you read articles that are like, who needs Bitcoin? You, you think about that and you're like, yeah, I could go to 2000 bucks for something because what is it? It's just something on a computer. Yeah. But at the same time, it could go to 200,000 bucks or half a million bucks because by the same token, what if the whole world suddenly wants that song. They suddenly want to download that song. Yeah, yeah, it's tapping into the collective unconscious. Yep, and the just network theory. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a cool thing. But then the other thing you brought up, QAnon. So it taps into the same instinct where people want something for nothing. And here all these people are told this is like a pipeline of information. And unfortunately, the real pipelines of information in the world, there's a barrier to entry. Like before you become an MD or a lawyer, you have to go to law school or medical school and you have to actually be certified. Yeah, instead of just and all that. going and reading a bunch of stuff on message boards on the internet. Right. And anybody can read stuff, but the issue with Q is that it invites you into like a secret world that not only is false, you haven't sacrificed anything. You haven't shown, you haven't been vetted. So uh, what's another good example? Um, Really, it's certifications are the best, like professional certifications. At least you have, or even a college degree, mm -hmm. right? You're exchanging four years of time and it shows some level of focus, some level of follow through, four or so years, maybe more than that. But then at the end, you get the degree and then you can apply for a job where it says college degree preferred. And all that tells the person is at least you followed through on something. Yeah. Whereas the QAnon people, some of these people have never succeeded in anything. And suddenly you're being told the secrets of the world. But don't you think it's, that makes them more vulnerable? It's very attractive. You know, you know, because they haven't had success in their lives and they're being promised um, that, you know, the great leader Trump is going to fix all their problems and things like that. And it's I feel like because they're more vulnerable, they're more likely to believe in that. Yeah. Well, there hasn't been a new Q posting in more than a year, but... Uh, I think it did spring out of a desperation where people saw that Trump wasn't doing the things that they wanted him to do. Mm -hmm. And then in comes this kind of mythology where, oh, he's really doing all this stuff and it's far more complex than you can even comprehend. Right. And again, it appeals to people's egos because like you're being brought in to something special without sacrificing. QAnon, he doesn't know who you are. He hasn't vetted you. He mm -hmm. doesn't know what your intelligence level is. And you're getting supposedly the best stuff. You're getting insights into what the government is really doing to go after the deep state. But after a certain point, I think most intelligent people walked away from it. Right. I think there are a lot of people who are like intrigued by the concept 
And then how many times can you read next week Hillary Clinton goes to Guantanamo? And it doesn't happen. And then she's on TV having a great time on Bill Maher. It's like how many times can you follow that little, uh, that like morphine or not morphine, I guess, adrenaline rush. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're all going to Gitmo. After the fifth or sixth time, it's like you got to drop it. And most people did. And then it was the people who had invested so much of their personality and like well, you say most people did, but then again, like it was only last year that January 6th happened. And all those, like not all, but I'd say a lot of those people were Q supporters that were, you know, very riled up and thought that they actually had a shot at overturning the government. I don't know if that's what those people thought. I think a lot of them were lemmings. Really? And Trump said, you know, he was saying, fight, fight, go down there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your president is telling you to basically go to some kind of rally right? and you don't realize until you get there. And obviously there are like tons of violent, trashy people too. But right. I don't think the average person there with their fanny pack was consciously trying to overturn the government. I think they were just listening to Trump. I guess they so. They were in that, that Trump kind of reality distortion field, you know? I mean, it's, it's hard to know unless I actually spoke to one of those people because we may never know. Like each person probably has their own reasons for being there. True. So. And then... You also got to factor in the fact that Trump invited a bunch of Q people to the White House, Mm -hmm. his social media summit about censorship and all that. Instead of saying Q is the biggest pile of garbage ever, that would have been the end of it. Instead, he invites these people to the White House and it created the... It gave them credibility. Yeah, it gave them credibility and it created the larger excitement around it. Mm -hmm. It would have fizzled out if not for the president inviting these weirdos to the White House. Yeah, that makes sense. uh, Then the other psychology thing is uh once you're in a group you don't want to be ostracized and a lot of these people are just straight up losers yeah and suddenly you're in a group and not only is it a group but it's not like a band or something it's like you think you're saving the world you think you're saving the country right and so obviously like it's dumb (laughs) pretty dumb but it's easy for us to say that when we're on the outside of it versus if your whole community, you know, your friends and your family, they're all believing in it. You don't want to be the odd man out. Right. And that kind of happened to me in a sense, because what Q did is it sucked all the legitimacy out of the truth community. And a lot of live streamers and YouTubers and stuff wanted really nothing to do with it. What do you mean by the truth community? Uh, Independent media. Got it. So you go back to like 2018 when I was at the height of my game Mm -hmm. and uh, everybody was like, why aren't you doing Q videos? And it's like, because I think it's bullshit. Right. And then the traffic moves away from you because that's what everybody wanted back then. Right. Because you had done a lot of videos on like Pizzagate. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. And Q took advantage of the fact that is child trafficking real? Well, based on Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell and Jean-Luc Brunel and all these other creeps, it's definitely real. Mm -hmm. And then took that very real troubling thing that still has not been fully properly prosecuted. Right took that and then threw people down this rabbit hole of maybe there are lizard people and maybe they're into cannibalism and raping children and all this stuff. And it got so bizarre yeah. that no credible person can really hang their hat on that stuff. And that's how it damaged the truth community. I see. It's because your average person, there's like very little difference between me or like Tim Pool and a QAnon person, even though what we believe is different. Right. Because you're challenging the status quo. Exactly. And questioning uh, authority figures. Well, I'm talking about stuff that 
you don't hear much about in the mainstream media. Mm -hmm. And yet it doesn't mean it's fake or false. It just means it's not fully explored. And yet, as Terrence McKenna once said, you don't want to be so open-minded that the wind, you know, flies in between your ears. Right. <laughs> and that's where you get if you're open to everything. Like the other ego-based scam in the truth community is all this belief from like Gaia TV personalities that aliens are secretly here and helping us and all this stuff. Do you believe in aliens? I believe in the concept, you know. The concept of intelligent life that is out there on other planets. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure there's probably other species and stuff, but to them, we got to be just like monkeys or something. And to think that they've been so gradual in their help of us, it's more likely they're not helping at all. You know, yeah, like, they're off busy doing more important things. Yeah. And I get these people every once in a while who email me and they're like, oh, David, you don't have to worry anymore about Pizzagate or about Epstein Island because the Arcturians are watching us from Saturn and, <laughs> and? Their, and their mothership. And they love us so much, David. You have no idea. And it's, <laughs> I really don't have any idea. They love us that much, but they let us go through two world wars and Vietnam and COVID. Like, what are they waiting for? Oh, that's right. They're not out there. It's a scam like you. That's so weird. Yeah. I mean, I think I definitely think that there is intelligent life out there somewhere. It's it's presumptuous of us to think that we are the only species that is an intelligent life form that has been able to figure out how to survive in this universe or galaxy, et cetera. Like there has to be something else out there. Will we ever meet them? Probably not. But... I mean, I think that they're out there. Yeah, distances in space are just so extreme that a whole civilization could come and go and we'd have no way of knowing it aside from now maybe the, uh, the James Webb Space Telescope. We'd see like a little infrared dot mm -hmm. and that's all we'd see from the birth and death of their whole world. You've written a lot of books and I'm curious what your writing process is like and how do you tap into your creativity and get into that state so you can figure out what you're going to write about? I pretty much have ideas bouncing around all the time. The ideas like kind of die on the vine unless I share it in my newsletter. You know, it, <laughs> just, it goes away. I move on to something else. Yeah. But in the case of a book, once I start to actively write a book, knowing like, oh, it's time to give the fulcrum people an update. Sure. Then I try to make it a chore and, you know, I'll sit down in the afternoon, write for an hour or so and just get all those thoughts out. And then I'll come back to it and, you know, revise it, clean it up a little bit. That's basically my process. So you have a schedule where, you know, there's like a set time every day that you're going to sit down and write something. Exactly. Yeah. A schedule in the same way that going to the gym, like you have a routine mm -hmm. and you stick to it. That's what I do with writing. It's, That's smart. Oh, I get a page or two done and then I feel happy. Yeah, I think a lot of artists and creative people really resist structure and routine, but it can be so helpful. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I find for me that it's it's nice to not have like a goal of a page count or anything, but just saying, okay, I'm going to spend an hour on this. If I sit there and just brainstorm for an hour, fine. Or if I get 10 pages out, amazing. But it's just that I'm dedicating that time solely to that. I'm going to put my phone away and just really uh, focus in on only that one thing, which I know can be really difficult in today's like social media age. They don't want you to be mm -hmm. focused. They want you to be distracted. Yep. Yeah, they want you scatterbrained. Just mm. the scatterbrained consumer. <laughs> doesn't have any personal anchor, you know, no personal foundation. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the book writing process <clears throat> is like, it's totally cathartic because then you're done. And I send it off to Missy, who does our editing and production. Cool. And then it's like, it's out of my hands. These are just ideas. What do I know? I just stayed at a Holiday Inn or something. You know, it's like, I'm not an expert. You call me a crypto expert. Really, the crypto well, experts. compared like, to me. Yeah, compared, <laughs> compared to a layman. But really, I'm just the person who reads stuff and then reports back. Right. And uh, what was the word for that? That uh, Like a polyglot or something. Someone who teaches themselves a bunch of different fields but oh. i'm not i'm not that i'm just like a true generalist like i know how to read a research paper or a white paper and from there i tell people what i think mm-hmm. and uh something that i like to ask all of my guests uh i have a segment i like to call hot tips hot tips hot tips hot tips when you have a shitty day whatever that looks like for you and you come home what is something that you do to turn your mood around? Like if you're feeling really depressed. My go-to is a hot shower. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, uh, I don't know if you've seen like, um, well, so many sci-fi movies, there's that scene where they've just gone through something. They've killed off the alien or whatever. Sure. And they're in the hot shower with one hand up against the wall mm-hmm. as the slime or blood is you know cleaned off of them. Mm-hmm. And cop movies have that, that device too the end of the long day you just go back and take the hot shower that's what i do yeah so you're just <laughs> pretending that you've killed a bunch of aliens no but it's the same kind of same kind of change of of pace we're like you're back at your place you take this hot shower and just get rid of all the nastiness in the uh-huh. external world yeah and you then, come out in your new man exactly so it's, i recommend that good or good beer or joint yeah no that, <laughs> that'll always take the edge off for sure absolutely and have you um since this is a mental health podcast, I always like to ask people, have you been to therapy? What's your opinion on it? Uh, back in college, I had a, a therapist for a while. And then at the very beginning of COVID, I had therapy for a bit. And uh, I think it's definitely helpful. Mm-hmm. I think if you're stressed out or depressed or anxious, it has a place for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that said, I also... Anything mainstream, I find problems with, right? You're saying that therapy is mainstream. Right. Uh-huh. Or at least the, the modality that I did was quite mainstream, where a psychologist is listening to your problems and then asks you about them again, and then you revisit it. And like from a metaphysics perspective, you really shouldn't do that at all. What do you mean? Why? <laughs> well, you know, you want to focus on the things that you want to come into your life. Right. And so if you're focusing on this one kind of out of the margin event that was terrible is maybe the worst thing that ever happened to you. Like the, some sort of trauma from your right. childhood. Right. And instead of like processing it and moving on, you're talking about it once a week or once every two weeks with somebody who's an expert on getting you to revisit every aspect. Mm. And there's, there's like a point of diminishing returns. Yeah. I think that there's like, it is good to revisit those things so that you can understand it and process it. But I think you're right that a lot of times, uh, once you've already processed it and understood it, once you are putting so much energy and focus and attention on these negative things, you're kind of going to bring more of that into your life. That's, that's it. And I hesitate to say that because I think that therapy is great and I don't think there's a problem with revisiting past stuff. I think actually for me, uh, when I, know that I've gotten over a trigger or a traumatic event is when 
I am able to revisit it and it doesn't trigger me, Mm -hmm. right? Then I know I can move on. But if there's something where I'm like, oh, I can't think about that, it's going to completely throw me off track, then I feel like I kind of have to uh, investigate that. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, but I think you're t- what you're talking about is kind of like the law of attraction, right? Yeah. It's uh, whatever you're going to, what is it? Well, there's like that saying, what you resist persists. That's not what I'm trying to say. I think it's more so like whatever you're putting your energy towards, it, the, the universe is going to say, oh, they're seeking that. And it's going to bring more chaos into your life. Yeah. Oprah, like 15 years ago, was a big fan of this book, The Power of Now mm-hmm. by Eckhart Tolle. Everybody calls him Eckhart Tolle, but it's actually Eckhart Tolle. Okay. And uh, that's like, I think in some ways, an ideal way to live your life. Is you stay as present moment as possible. And then when you do veer off to somewhere else, it should be pleasant memories and pleasant expectations. Not the worst thing that's ever happened to you revisited every week. And uh, I realize I'm oversimplifying what the therapy process is. I'm not against it or opposed to it. It's sure. just like between that or a breakthrough experience. Like I haven't done ayahuasca, but the people I know who have, they come away different. Yeah. Or even like, uh, there are other chemicals you can use. So like plant medicine or chemical stuff. I mean, people are doing ketamine therapy now, um, in trials. Right. So I think, I think a lot of trauma is, is something that can be chemically altered, chemically improved upon. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so my other thought about the power of awareness and power now and all that is it's almost like when you edit one of these podcasts, mm-hmm. or at least when I edit, edit it on GarageBand, I listen through real fast. And if there's some other clip I have to drop in, like an outro track or like maybe another part of the conversation that was recorded earlier, mm-hmm. I add that. But you don't have any margin of error for like crap. Like I'm not going to put in by accident a voicemail message that I saved. like not even once you're not going to hear like some audio recordings you know the the notes thing on iphone yeah i'm like in the grocery store telling myself what i need to get like a voice memo yeah a voice memo i'm not going to add my personal voice memos to the podcast because it would completely mess it up and then you think about your your thoughts throughout the day the average person is not building up to anything the average person is like putting together a really weird podcast that has their voice memos and their personal fears and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they don't realize that that's going out. That's your podcast, even if you're not podcasting. Well, it's like you're, you have a, an inner monologue and um, being able to kind of control your thoughts and keep them positive or keep them focused on things you actually want is valuable. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're going to play a movie in your mind, which everybody does, why not make it a happy movie? You don't want it to be a final destination. Yeah. What have you done in your personal practice to get more into positive thinking? Uh, It's a good question. I don't know if I'm really a positive thinker. It's just. um, Or intentional, maybe. Yeah. Intentional. Just having some awareness of where your thoughts go. You know, like people who watch crime shows all the time. I try to avoid that because you're, you're inviting conflict into your life in a sense. And darkness too. And darkness, I used yeah. to listen to so many true crime podcasts and I, a few years ago, I kind of stopped uh, because I noticed that it was, I was getting kind of darked out, you know, and having these images in my head of bodies being chopped up or 
that creepy feeling at night that someone's out to get me. Like, I don't need that in my life. You really don't. And it's like, <laughs> there's a self-confirming element. So for me, when I get in a creepy situation, I'm just out, you know, like I'm walking down the street and then I go off in some alley mm-hmm. and something just feels weird. And I don't know why. Well, I walk back onto the street. I don't explore the alley further. And even when I meet somebody, if something just seems super off, like I don't know them at all. And they've just offered me drugs or something. And I don't know if they're recording me or what their intent is. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, I'm out. See ya. Have a good one. And, yeah. and yet, if you're in crime show mode, it's almost like you want to attract that drama to you. Oh, let's go explore. The alley feels creepy. Let's let's take some photos and let's see if there's anything here. Yeah. No. Like, again, it's all like what you spend your time on is what you get. So if you're always thinking about crime and if you're always like the little personal investigator, you're going to get creepy stuff in your life. Mm-hmm. I was telling you about this old neighbor my family had who uh, she's been a cop for 30 years and stuff. Oh, right. And so the smallest thing, most innocent thing in the neighborhood will happen. And she sees it in the darkest way possible. And it creates conflict by treating your neighbors like they're criminals. It creates conflict that is probably not even real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like whenever you show up, she's suspicious of you. Right. When it's like, <laughs> I live here, you know, like, at a certain point, it creates drama. Uh, yeah. But no, in terms of positive thinking, I'm not the expert on it. I didn't know. I mean, I didn't claim that you were. It's just, I think for me, what's interesting about doing this podcast and talking to people about their mental health is that everyone has their own approach and how they're able to, you know, deal with difficult circumstances in their lives and things like that. So I was just curious about it, you know, Mm -hmm. um, like for me, I know I'm really big on meditation. Anybody listens to this podcast, it's, you know, something that I'm really passionate about. And I think that's really helped me to hone in on not only being able to be in touch with myself and my thoughts, but also having like connection to some sort of higher power or the universe and feeling like I'm in that rhythm of, um, just like a bigger, something bigger than me. So to go back to the hologram thing I was talking about earlier. Which hologram thing? It's like if you're in a holographic reality, basically. Oh, you're talking about like this quantum. Yeah, the quantum thing earlier. Yeah. Uh, The last thing you want to do is focus on negative stuff. Because, you know, if you're in a holodeck, what you're focused on is what you're requesting, in a sense. The Mm -hmm. holodeck from Star Trek, you know, where you go in. And you go, hey, computer, 18th century Victorian England. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly everybody's dressed in 18th century garb and you're drinking pints in some pub. Right. It's because they requested that that they get it. And the only difference between that and reality is it takes, on average, more time. Right. And obviously there's like, there's a limit in terms of, I can't say like, pink elephant, appear. And then we get a pink elephant in the room. There's <laughs> kind of a reasonable limit to it. But the concept, I find it holds. So that's my personal thought experiment. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, so we talked a little bit about the um, the book that you're holding right now, but also you have Treacherous America, which just came out. What is that one about? Yeah, Treacherous America is the follow-up to this one and is about how our civilization is falling apart. And... I use the phrase uh, decivilization, which comes from, uh, well, the word decivilization and the phrase American anarchy, both mm-hmm. of which come from uh, the former CTO of Coinbase. And he says that he just sees a world emerging where people are pretty much like, hey, you're not the boss of me. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's what's literally happening is all these public health experts have been so inaccurate because it's been two years of stuff instead of it ending in two weeks. And people just don't trust each other anymore. And so unless you buy law or somebody's unless you buy law or somebody's oppressor, like law enforcement or something, we're just not gonna listen to each other anymore. Mm-hmm. And then the book goes into like, as that happens, what does that mean for national identity and things like that? I see. So because none of us are on the same page about what is true, then what is civilization? Yeah. Right. Yeah, because the basic expectations of if I do this for you, you'll do this for me because we're both good people. It's been thrown out. I see. <laughs> That's tough. Yeah. It's because I think there has to be a, what I'm hearing from you is there has to be a basic level of trust and respect between human beings of a certain code of conduct. And that doesn't really exist anymore. Right. I mean, to varying degrees, you still trust your friends or family, Mm -hmm. but I'm talking about the stranger at the gas station or on the subway stop. I saw just like a month ago, there was a headline that some girl was pushed in front of a subway car. Oh yeah. No, it's happened multiple times in New York city. Yeah, and to think 15 years ago, that was not commonplace, and now it is. Like yeah. Even here in Pleasantville, there was a shooting just the other week, mm-hmm. and uh, that was like almost unheard of back when I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, we're in Annapolis, but uh, you live in a, a very nice suburb that does kind of look like Pleasantville. Yeah. So that is really shocking, because you think, oh, it's never going to happen here, but it does. Yep, you would think 30 minutes outside of D.C., you wouldn't have shootings and stuff, but... Now you do, because that trust is falling apart. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Well, um, I appreciate you joining me on the show today. Uh, do you have any last words, words of wisdom? Anybody out there who might be struggling with um, depression or anxiety? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. No, uh, no advice. Read about crypto. Read about crypto. You may not be happy or well-adjusted, but at least you'll be able to eat. Okay, yeah. that's fair. Well, I'll I'll say, you know, what I always kind of tell people is that it, it does get better and that you have to believe that there is something else on the other side of whatever you are suffering through right now. Um, because I will say that I've, I've been to hell and back, especially over the last few years, and it's worth it. Stick around. It is worth it, definitely. <laughs> and quantum immortality, you can't go anywhere anyways. You might as well make the most of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Uh, from what, I, from what I understand, from what you've told me about this quantum thing, it's like the pure essence of you is still going to be there. You can't escape yourself. Right. Even if you go to another parallel timeline, it's still going to be you. So you might as well try and make it work. Yep. Things can go <laughs> infinitely bad or infinitely good. I'm going to believe in infinite good. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us. And if people want to check you out, obviously, they can go to Fulcrum News. Yep. Or uh, just... Buy the book on Amazon and then... uh, Yeah, I'm going to link that in the show notes and the description and everything on those sites. So thanks so much, David. Yeah, thanks again. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope that it made you feel a little bit less weird about whatever brain stuff it is that you are going through and a little bit less alone. If you want to find out more about David and his books, you can check out info in the description or on the episode guide at cryingbehindpod.com. And I've been your host, Kayla Dahl. You can follow me on all the things at Kayla, that's K-E-I-L-A Dahl, um, on all of the things. 
I really appreciate all of your support out there. Uh, here's a recent review from KLSSS1992. Super relatable interviews and smart point of view. Highly recommend. Wow. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, if you want me to read your review, obviously, just uh, put it out there on Apple Podcasts, and I will definitely read it on here. So, until next time, stay cool, stay present, stay sunny. (laughs) 